All right, everyone, are you guys ready for a good message? I am in the mood to give a good message. All right, so just, I just want you to just, you know, yell back to me whenever you feel just amen, oh my, or you're talking to them, whatever. Whatever you want to say, uh, I'm, I'm nice and rested. I went on vacation. My dad was here. He's my best friend. Was anyone here for my dad last Sunday? He's, he's my best friend. He's the second best preacher in the family. Uh, don't let him hear. I steal all his stuff. I tell him all the time, like, if you're going to come preach at our church, you can't preach this. You can't preach that. You can't. I've already stolen it and preached it. Um, and so I just want you to know that uh, uh, my dad's my best friend, and, and I'm glad that you guys enjoyed that. But uh, today, I know for sure I have a message that you need, you want to hear this morning. It's called Called by God. And uh, the whole premise uh, of this message is how God is calling you, he's compelling you into his presence. And so I want to talk about uh, how to get into his presence, how to stay in his presence, um, and uh, how to be used uh, by his presence this morning. And, and so what I have as a, as a visual illustration here is I've got this flame because throughout the scriptures, the presence of God is often a type and shadow or, or is reflected as fire. Uh, if you read Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, uh, there was a flame on the top of everybody's head that received the Holy Spirit. And the flame was like a cloven tongue like the tongue in your mouth. It was on fire above their head. And it's so interesting on how of all the options that God could have put above a person's head, he didn't have to put anything above their head if he wanted to, but he chose to have a visual sign and the visual sign that he chose was a tongue. And the first thing that he changed about a person was how their tongue is used. They were able to speak in another language, a heavenly language. And you back up and you realize and you go, what is the big deal with tongues? And it's so obvious as we read the scripture that as your tongue goes, so does your life. And when you hear somebody that speaks in a positive manner, speaks about God, speaks in the fear of God, their life flows in that direction. But if you ever hang out with somebody who finds the negative, who's down, who's upset, who's ticked off, who's mad, and expresses it verbally with their tongue, emphasis on that, uh, their life seems to, to, uh, to follow that flow. So the first thing that God wanted to do, he said, look, I'm going to change your whole life. Your whole life is about to change. I'm going to pour my spirit on you, but I've got to change your tongue first. So the next time you're in your car and somebody cuts you off, watch what you're about to say. The next time you're having, you want to say, I've got, this is a terrible day. No, 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 no. It's not a terrible day. Your morning was actually pretty good. You're just having a bad moment and you're going to have a great evening. So don't take the whole day and throw it away. 
right? My life stinks. No, your life doesn't stink. A guy cut you off. This moment is kind of lame, but your life is pretty good. Are you with me? So we got to watch our tongue. So it's the very first thing that the Lord changed. And so as you see this flame, I want it to represent the presence of God. Uh, And this actually is exuding a lot of heat. And during the first service, I think I lost two pounds just standing next to it. So I'm going to preach a short message today because you'll start seeing me sweat here any minute. So we're going to dive straight into it. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6 is where I'm going to begin reading. And this is uh, such a fascinating passage. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. He writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw... Now, let's just not read without having uh, a mental imagery. Uh, He saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. Watch this. This is so cool. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Get this in your head. You you know when you see a bride walking down the center aisle. And as she's walking down the center aisle, there's a long train. Uh, Imagine the, the train of the Lord's robe is so big. It's so magnificent that it's literally filling the entire throne room. Are you with me so far? So uh, here Isaiah continues. Verse 2. Above it stood seraphim, angels. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the doors of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me for I am undone. Some of the versions of Bible that you're reading right now says, woe is me, I'm about to die. Because I am a man of unclean lips. Are you guys catching this? I'm in the presence of God. And because I speak the way I do. The way I talk. I can't stand here with this filthy mouth. Now he's not talking uh, about profanity. Although he's not excluding profanity either. It's the seasoning of his words. It's the dialect of his words. It's how he uses words. He's saying, because the way I use my words is so bad, being in your presence, my mouth is so unclean, I'm about to die. Are you guys with me so far? Everyone say, got it. All right, you sound good. All of you this time, got it. Oh man, you do got it. So here we go. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, 
This has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is pure, purged. Are, are you guys catching this? He wanted to purify him. So the first thing he did was purify his mouth. So let's just use that verse as an anthem for our life. That before we go off and say, I hate this person or I hate that Let's just recognize that our mouth not only dictates the direction of our life, but it also creates the world around us. Words create worlds. Are you with me? If you see a family out and about and they seem like a happy family, if you walk into their home, you'll find out real quickly why they seem so happy. Because words create worlds. If you see a family at the mall and they just seem like they're disgusted and with each other, you walk into their home and you will hear disgusted language. The whole world is created with words. Are you with me so far? All right, so here we go. Uh, your sin is pure. I also, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, here I am, here am I, sorry, send me. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here, I, here am I, send me. What I like about this passage, outside of the points that I've already raised, is that God was not talking to Isaiah. He wasn't. Uh, he, God, was talking to those around him in his own throne room, and Isaiah was overhearing the conversation. Now, what is so cool about God is that God knew he was there. It's not like Isaiah snuck into, shh, and eavesdropped his way into the throne room. God knew he was there and he said something out loud knowing that he was listening. Now I've got a nine-year-old daughter and it's so funny because she is the biggest eavesdropper I know. <laughs> Does anyone have an eavesdropper in their family? Are you sitting next to that eavesdropper right now? It's so funny on how uh, my daughter, she's, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she puts a cup up next to walls. When I'm in the car and I'm talking to Allie, I looked in, if I look in the rearview mirror, I will see her, her ears will almost bend. She, I can tell she's just listening. She's just, she wants to be at the adult table. It's crazy. This is what Isaiah is doing. He's eavesdropping. So here the Lord knows that he can hear him though. And so the Lord almost says it like this. I need to send somebody to the people that are not living for me. And who he was talking about were the people that, and Matthew talks about it, they're either... Uh, pursuing earthly riches or they're consumed with the cares of this world. And so there's a fine line between 
wanting to better yourself and being consumed by the process. Does that make sense? And so the Lord is looking at the earth. He sees that he needs to send someone. And so he says, here's Isaiah in the room. He goes, I need to send someone. Who should I send? And he kind of waits. And Isaiah goes, I want to go. And so the Lord cleanses his mouth and sends him. And all of this, this entire scene takes place while Isaiah is in the presence of God. And so I want to talk about being in the presence of God. And I'll just give you an overview. I've got three points this morning. The first one is pursuing. The second one is calling. And the third one is accepting. And so let me just dive straight into it. The pursuing portion of this whole scene is the, the compelling uh, voice that calls us into the presence of God. And the decision that each of us make is, do we pursue the presence of God or do we get swallowed up in pursuing everything except for it? Now, let me just kind of show you another sidebar visual. Um, uh, Let's see here. Let's see here. Charles, yeah, you look like a person that would fit perfect into this. Uh, Just stand right here. We didn't do this in the first service, but uh, we're going to do it now. Uh, Just turn around and let's just imagine Charles is walking straight, but he's not. Just imagine that with me. And and I don't want him to walk straight, okay? And so since I can't touch him... Okay, Um, I'm going to do everything I can to distract him. Hello, hello. See, now I'm doing good. Now I'm doing good. You see what I'm saying? Can someone throw me? uh, Give give me your purse. Give me your purse. That's it. it. I won't take anything. Yeah, that's it. That'll be good. That'll be good. There's not a gun in there or anything, is there? You have to ask that question in Texas. But so you, 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 have, you have somebody who's like, I want this person to stop, if I'm the enemy, to stop being so focused on God that I will try to distract by bringing up financial stress as an example. Hello? Hello? There we go. <laughs> come on, come on, come on, come on. Hey, you're doing good, but we should have did this in the first service. <laughs> hey, come on. Hello, hello, hello. It, it, so the next thing you know, bye-bye-bye. You can have your... Um, your, your now, let me just take relationships, for instance. It's almost just kind of like we want to just kind of pull or fears and concerns and worries. Whatever we got to do to keep you from being focused is what the enemy's going to do. Does that make sense? Thank you so much. Give Charles a round of applause, will you? But what I want to emphasize is whatever we need is found in the presence of God. How many of us in this room has ever said, I either need to win the lottery or I need a miracle? Go ahead, raise your hand. Come on, be honest. Some of you are, I don't think we can talk about the lottery in church. I read 
a, a, a news clipping of a pastor in Florida that said that he would not accept the tithe of a guy in his church who won the lottery. So I tried to find that guy because I wanted to send him a letter <laughs> to say that we will freely accept his tithe. Praise God. So it, I, how many, let me, I'm already off the beaten path. You buy just one number for the lottery. You just buy one, right? You don't buy 10, you just buy one. Are anyone with me? And, and why do we only buy one? It only takes one. I've, I never buy lottery tickets unless it's a record. Like when the guy gets on the news and says, this is the biggest jackpot ever. I'm like, me, me. And I'll go get it and I'll tell the Lord, God, I'm going to pray over this ticket. I'm just wanting to give you another opportunity. If you wanted to make me a billionaire and you just didn't know how to do it. This would be an easy way. We're talking about ping pong balls here. Bloop, 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 bloop. Bing. And, and then we make deals, right? I will pay off the church. I'll promise there will be a hundred poor people that will get beat full to the brim every single day. I'll just go find poor people. It, it just, you just make deals with God. But anyway, it, when we say I either win the lottery or I need the presence or I need a miracle. No, 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 no. What we need is the presence of God because everything, everyone read my lips. Everything you need is in the presence of God. Let me say it again. Everything you'll ever need is in the presence of God. The Bible says that he owns the cattle of a thousand hills. You know what that means? All the money is mine. The Bible says that all good things come from heaven. So we don't need to back up and say, I need a raise. We need to say, I need to get into the presence of God. We don't need to back up and say, I need to win the lottery. We need to say, I need the presence of God. We don't need to back up and say, I need to find a man that'll marry me. We need to say, I need the presence of God. Because trust me, the only thing worse then being single and wanting to be married is being married and wishing you were single. <laughs> so be careful to pray for that. Don't just say randomly, I need to be married. Oh, you may not want to be married. The only thing lonelier, I, I mean this as a joke, but I could very easily make it serious, but the only thing lonelier than being in a bed by yourself is being in bed with somebody and still feel like you're by yourself. Every decision we make, and for those of you that are in that second category, we want to be in the presence of God because whatever it is that you need is found in the presence of God. So Isaiah found himself in the presence. So I want to encourage you Whatever it takes and whatever changes in life you have to do, pursue the presence of God. 
pursue the presence of God. There are times when I'm having a lunch appointment and I'll tell the person, I'm going to go use the bathroom. I don't need to use the bathroom. I don't have to use the bathroom. I'm not even going to use the bathroom. I go into the bathroom. I go into a handicap stall. I unroll toilet paper, which takes a long time because rip, 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 rip. I lay it down. I get on my knees. I just, God, I want you to know that I love you. Then I go back to my seat, and if I prayed for a long time, usually it's a little awkward, but I'll come back to my seat, and I'll sit down and just carry on with the lunch. Pursue, pursue, pursue. And then there's the calling, point number two. When God calls you, it's a compelling. He puts a need out to see how you'll respond. Will you respond? It's like this, a calling could be substituted with the word compelling. You're compelled to do something. It's when he said, who shall we send? He puts something out there to see what you'll do. Are we too busy? Do we have an interest? Do we care? Do we have things that we need to do instead? The Bible gives a story about how the bridegroom said, I'm getting married. Go out and invite everybody. Invite people at the highways and the byways. And they came back and they said, we invited a whole bunch of people. But nobody came. They gave a bunch of excuses. One guy said, well, I just bought some new cows. I need to go check on them. Another guy said, I'd come, but I just got married. That shut my whole life down. Back to my original point. But people come up with reasons whenever they're compelled to not pursue and to get involved in the presence of God. So here we go. So God puts out that calling. And what he wants to see you do is to say, if there's one thing that I do well in my life, it's going to be pursuing God. Because he knows that if you make that commitment, I mean up commitment. He knows that your whole world would be dictated. The the power of a person's commitment is fascinating. I read this. Let me take a a planned sidebar for a change. Um, I read this this book recently. Uh, Some of you would would really enjoy it. Um, But it's, it's a story that one of the illustrations in the book was about toy stores and toy companies about how their sales are astronomical during November and December. It's like through the roof. And when it goes through the roof like that, the entire company does well. But then in January and February, they sell no toys because all of us, all of us parents are like, I don't even want to see a toy after all the toys I just bought. So now all these organizations have a big problem because the surplus that they have in November and December is not great enough to handle the deficits of January and February. So they came up with an ingenious idea to get us to buy toys in January and February. And when I read this, I got so mad, I almost threw the book at the person that gave it to me. Because it was me. They were talking about me. I'm like, you guys played me. So here we go. I'm going to find out if you got played too. 
How many of you remember Tickle Me Elmo craze? Go ahead, put your hand up. It was about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It was Tickle Me Elmo was the craze. Put your hand up, go ahead. Kids had to have Tickle Me Elmo. Tickle my Gabba, Tickle Me Elmo for Christmas, Gabba, Tickle Me Elmo for Christmas, Gabba, Tickle Me Elmo. I'm like, yes, just stop asking. I'll get you the Tickle Me. Well, it wasn't as easy as it sounded, was it? It was on every single commercial, every single network, every single news clipping, every single online, everything. Tickle me Elmo, tickle me Elmo, tickle me Tickle me Elmo was on Fox News. Tickle me Elmo, tickle me Elmo. And so they're just constantly promoting tickle me Elmo, tickle me Elmo. So I go to the store to buy me a $12 tickle me Elmo. And guess what? I'm standing there with 50 other moms and dads and there are no tickle me Elmos. And I'm like, well, what in the world is going on? We were getting on eBay. We were getting on Craigslist. Tickle Me Elmo's were going for $1,500, Do you remember this? Are you with me? People are going crazy for Tickle Me Elmo's. Parents can't find Tickle Me Elmo's. So what do we do? We go out and we buy something of equal or greater value to substitute the lack of a Tickle Me Elmo. I couldn't find you Tickle Me Elmo, but I did get you a Tickle Me Goofy. And a Tickle Me Pink Panther and a Tickle Me Mickey Mouse. But, but you said you'd give me a Tickle Me Elmo. <sighs> January comes around and all of a sudden, I'm back at Toys R Us. Why? Because there's Tickle Me Elmos everywhere. They did this on purpose. They promote Tickle Me Elmo, but they don't put Tickle Me Elmo on the shelf. So I want to kill me a Tickle Me Elmo. (laughs) They only have 20 Tickle Me Elmos on the shelf, but they put $4.90 billion of advertising into Tickle Me Elmos. So then it comes around in January, February. Finally, we go out and we get the Tickle Me Elmos. And guess who wins? They win. Now they got sales in November and December and in January, February. And how did all of this happen? It all happened because we as parents said, yes, I promise. Bad word, bad word, bad word. I promise to get you a Tickle Me Elmo. Once we made that commitment, stuck. And the Lord, when he puts out that calling, who shall I send? And he waits because he knows you. He knows that if you say yes, You are my everything from this moment forward and whatever you ask from me. He knows when you draw that line in the sand, it's on like Donkey Kong. And now you are pursuing him with your mind and your heart and your soul. And it's not the things of this world that consumes you. It's the presence of God. You know what's so cool about that? The Bible says that if you pursue first... The kingdom of God, he will add those other things to the deal. You know what's interesting? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that money fixes all 
things. Money fixes all things. Now, before you get get super spiritual and go, no, money can't buy you love. First, I'll say, go ahead and give it a shot. It comes close. (laughs) It comes real close. But anyway, the things are everything you can't take with you to heaven, but you need them while you're here. And so instead of getting consumed with the things and not consumed with the presence of God, because see, if you try to go for the things, you end up losing both. But if you pursue the presence of God, he throws the things in for free. Isn't that kind of cool? Because he knows you need things. He knows you need shoes and cars and houses and be able to pay the bills. He knows that. But if you get consumed with it, then you're not accepting the calling of making him everything. Number three. So first is pursuing. Number two is calling. And then number three is accepting. Anytime you accept a blessing, it's usually attached to a sacrifice. If you accept a blessing... It comes with a sacrifice. See, there's a certain blessing that I have chosen to, re- to reject. The blessing of having six-pack abs. Because the sacrifice is not worth the blessing. Are you with me? I enjoy bottomless brownie bottom pies. I love whoever came up with this at Mexican restaurants needs to go to heaven even if they lie, cheat, and steal for the rest of their life. It's a bottomless basket of chips. That was an anointed thought. Am I right? It was anointed. It was blessed. It was from God. Bottomless chips and DVR. All of it is from God. I remember the days of having church on Sunday nights. And you'd be going to hell if you watched Super Bowl instead of going to church. Are you with anyone here? But now, not only do we not have church on Sunday nights. But if we did, we could DVR it. That's from God. We got to acknowledge what God has given us. Bottomless chips and DVR, all of these things. There are certain blessings I have opted to not accept because of the sacrifice. Blessings oftentimes are attached to sacrifice. Abraham, you can be the father of many nations, but I want your son. Jesus, you can be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but I want you to hang on the cross. Peter, James, and John, I want you to be fishers of men. Your names will be on the foundation of heaven itself, but you need to leave and follow me. There are certain times where the Holy Spirit will breathe in a request I want you to not do that. I want you to not say that. I want you to stop doing this. I want you to stop doing that. And there are some requests that are the same for everybody. And then there's other requests where it's just for you. I'll give you an example. Jesus not only drank wine, he made wine. 
but Samson was not allowed to drink wine. Jesus got haircuts on a regular basis. I don't know how he did it. I don't know if he just took a sword and I don't know. But Samson wasn't allowed to get a haircut. So there was a blessing that was available for Samson, but there was also sacrifices attached to that blessing. But those sacrifices were only for Nazarites. It wasn't for everybody. There are certain times where the Lord will speak to you and ask you to stop this or stop that or stop this. I'll close this message sharing a personal wrestling match that I have. Like you, there's lots of things in this world that clamor and tug for my attention. But at the bottom of my soul, the core of who I am, I really don't care about those things that it looks like I care about. What I really want is to pursue with laser focus and then entertain the presence of God. And then after that, do whatever it is that I need to do. If you share that, and I know you do, many of you do, there's certain intimacy indicators that can be kind of gauges on how we're doing with this call of God. The first one is distance and staleness. When you feel distant, the presence of God is everywhere. You can't run from it. It doesn't matter how high you go or how low you go. You can't run from it. The Bible says that in him we live and breathe. It's like a fish in water. You can't leave the presence of God. But the intimacy can feel like it's distant or stale. And in those cases, we back up and we just ask this question. God, is there something I need to ask forgiveness for? Why is that such a powerful question? Because the Bible says that times are, repentance brings refreshing. Repentance brings refreshing. And so when this feels far, when this is your heart, when the presence of God is what you desire, when you just want to constantly be in the presence, you can be in a meeting and feel the presence of God. You wake up before you even open your eyes. Let me just say there's some of you here, before you even open your eyes, you're thinking about the presence of God. That's a gift from God. Not everybody in this room is like that. Before you even open your eyes, you're thinking about God. He's always just coming to your mind at random times. That's a gift from God. Not everybody is like that. But to constantly be in that state of thinking about and entertaining and pursuing, when that is not happening, and instead there's a staleness and a distance, to return back to that relationship and connection and intimacy is as simple as asking God, is there something I need to repent about? And when something comes to your mind, just throw it out there. I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I thought that. I'm sorry I did. And what you will notice in the process 
of repenting is you will feel refreshing. There's times where I want to feel the refreshing and I can't think of anything I've done wrong. So I just start throwing random things out there because I want the refreshing so bad. I start throwing random things out there. While I'm throwing random things out there, real things will come to my mind. God, I'm so sorry I haven't prayed enough today. I'm so sorry I forgot to pray for my food this morning when I ate my breakfast. And then all of a sudden, I'm so sorry I said that to my wife. And I'm sorry that I thought that. And I'm sorry that I looked at that. And I'm sorry. And the next thing you know, the intimacy factor is there. And in the process of entertaining that, the calling. So there was the pursuing, the calling, and then the accepting. But any time you say, Lord, send me, be careful when you say that. Because the sending process, hold on, let me back up. I got ahead of myself. The first thing is the distance and the staleness. That's the first indicator. The second indicator is the most important appointment of your day, which is your time with God, even if it's only for five minutes. Sometimes we don't pray with God because we can't pray for an hour. Have a five-minute appointment. And I've got an A time, B time, and C time. I set my alarm on my iPhone. I don't know what it is about the schedule of my day. It might be completely opposite of yours. But I set my alarm for 7 a.m., 11 a.m., and 3 a.m. Because those are the times during my day where there seems to be a lag. I don't know why or how it happens. I think it, it's between a, or a lunch appointment or after a lunch appointment. But that's usually where there's a lag in my day. Now, if something happens at seven and I can't talk with God, which happens a lot, I just bump the appointment with God to 11. That's my B time. And if something happens again where my lunch gets bumped earlier or later, then I just bump my time to my C time with God. But when the most important appointment of my day is no longer happening, now we got a problem. Because now the distance and the indicators, the staleness, now they're blinking off the charts. But let's always remember when we say, send me, it involves leaving, it involves traveling, and it involves arriving. Let's make sure we know what we're doing when we say, God, I want to be used. Because are we willing to leave something? Sometimes the traveling process is the hardest part. I call it seasons in the hallway. You've walked out of one door, but the next door hasn't opened. And now you're like... Just want to encourage you. The presence of God is everything that you'll ever need or want. 